This episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast is brought to you by Quite Trill Radio, the best hip-hop internet radio show on the planet. If you know me or you train with me in the past, you know that I hate to train in silence, and that's where Quite Trill comes in. Quite Trill is the soundtrack to all of my training sessions. Quite Trill Radio has over 50-plus episodes that are about two hours apiece that are going to bring you some of the best in hip-hop, soul, and R&B, as well as underground hip-hop music. To listen, follow them on Facebook or Instagram at Quite Trill Worldwide. That's Quite, Q-U-I-T-E, Trill, T-R-I-L-L, Worldwide. Quite Trill Radio. The Sticks and Blades podcast is also brought to you by Vulpus Training. Vulpus Training is the home of some of the best training blades on the market. All of their blades are handcrafted. This means no CNC machines, water jets, or laser cuttings are used to manufacture their blades. All of their blades are hand ground on a belt sander freehand like a real blade. They offer 41 different blade designs, everything from traditional Filipino long blades, tomahawks, short everyday carry blades. Vulpus Training has you covered for all your training blade needs. I recently received their Taliban with a handguard that I'm actually holding my hand right now as we speak. And the handguard is actually big enough to fit a hockey glove through, guys, which means it's ideal for sparring. And the weight and the balance of the blade is pretty amazing. So to order, check them out on Facebook or Instagram at Vulpus Training. That's Vulpus, V-U-L-P-E-S, Training. Vulpus training. Welcome to another episode of the Sticks and Blades podcast. I'm your host, Doug Marsh, and my guest today, he's uh, he's been many things. He's a pioneer in the Filipino martial arts uh, social media space. He's been a fight choreographer. He's been a competitor in different FMA competitions. He was a direct student of the late Remy and Ernesto Presses. And to me, he's one of the more interesting figures in the Filipino martial arts. I want to welcome to the show, Datu Tim Hartman. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Just enjoying my vacation time, enjoying the South Texas sun. It uh finally started cooling down down here in Texas. Oh, good deal. Yeah, so I'm loving it. So before I get into all the martial arts stuff, I always like to do a status check with my guest. Uh, for the past damn near year, uh, we've been going through all this COVID nineteen stuff. So how have you and your family been been dealing with this? Well, uh, it was rough at first. I mean, we're in New York State. Oh Lord. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Emperor Cuomo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it, it kind of hit us out of the blue. So we had to lock down on March 17th and it took me a little while to get things going in the club, but, uh, you know, I made it work for me and, um, you know, everyone in my immediate circle is uh, healthy. 
we've had some people that I know that have, have gotten it and uh, have gotten through it very well. Uh, there was one person in my circle that was a mild acquaintance that passed away. Um, you know, so it is a it is a real issue out there. Um, but it's kind of hard to. I, I have acquaintances in both sides and all different sides of media and medical and stuff. So it's try to get a cross section of stuff and it's definitely an issue, but I don't know how bad of an issue, big of an issue is because I hear from, from the left, the right, the center or the up, the down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all I know is that I, I, I feel good and I haven't lost anyone that's really close to me and my business is open back up again. And, um, my whole mindset was, how to get through this and and I'm moving forward. Okay, that's good news. And I'm sorry to hear about your loss uh from this silly disease, but um I'm glad to hear that your business is open again, that you're out there doing things again. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> so am I. <laughs> well, the first question I always ask my guests is about leadership, and the question is how do you define leadership and when did you realize that you had the skills to lead? Uh well, oops, as I hit the microphone. Um I don't know if uh, I ever realized I had the, the skills to lead, but, you know, my my whole thing has always been lead by example, follow by choice. And um, I looked what I look for people who are willing to do things, lead from the front as opposed to the rear. Um, I did that, or at least I tried to do that, and uh, ended up getting a bunch of people who saw a similar vision. And uh, they trust the direction I take them in. And But I have a, a circle of people that will call BS on me uh, if uh, I uh, go astray. A lot of times I'll sit there, if I perceive something, I always d double check everything. And I'll go to my guys and go, is it me or is this person a jerk? And most of the time, <laughs> it's this person's a jerk. But the other times, it's no, you're overreacting. But I have that check system to make sure I don't go off half cock because when I was younger, and one of the things we're going to talk about today, uh, the forums, uh, one, I went off half cock because I was very passionate, and now I'm a little more mature. I think we we all we all have that, you know, growing up in the martial arts to where you know we just fly off the rails in the beginning. You know, if someone challenges uh, certain things that we perceive as truths, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, all that nonsense. Well well, that's life. If you really think about it, it's not just martial arts. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so one of the reasons I reached out to you, Tim, was because you had made a video the other week about uh, an end of an era and uh, the era that you were referring to, it was FMA talk. So can you talk to us a little bit about FMA talk and how it got started and, and what sure. the purpose behind it was? Well, let's start off from the very beginning. Um, so it started from a thing called Marshall Talk, which is still out there. Um, so uh, an acquaintance at the time, which has become one of my friends and uh, allies, uh, uh, Bob Hubbard, came to me as a web designer, and he started doing some work for me. And then from there, uh, he had told me about this martial art discussion group he tried that kind of failed. He had all the tech savvy, but he didn't have the network. And we talked about a few things. I got I got a good vibe from him. And I go, I tell you what, you build it, I'll populate it. And Marshall Talk became a huge hit. So this was uh, in 2000, we started it. And um, it was predominantly Arnis and Kempo people. So Arnis is my primary system. 
And I have friends, a lot of friends in the Kempo community. And a lot of times I'd be invited as guest instructors to teach the the stick and the knife because it seems like everyone likes to stab people and hit people with sticks. <laughs> yeah, just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> just a little. So, um, and the the nice thing, the structure of modern arties, the way Professor Price has taught it to the masses, is the art within your art. Now, it's not how I learned it. We can talk about that later. But the art within your art format is how to enhance your primary system without compromising the integrity of that base system. So, um, and Filipino martial arts is very good at adding on to a lot of other systems without compromising what they're doing. So, uh, every time I did a seminar, I would talk about FMA talk or, I mean, our martial talk. And, uh, you'd either have, you can, so you could tell where I was teaching seminars because that's where people signed up. Next thing you know, it became this huge thing that was bigger than both Bob and I. And then, um, so we started that. Uh, and I think we launched it 2000. So it gets bigger and better. And he starts uh, spinning off uh, like Kempo Talk was another one and a few other talks. And I said, listen, uh, I'd like to do FMA Talk. So we spun that off. Uh, I ran the front of the house. He ran the back. He did all the tech stuff. I did all the, the PR stuff. And that's how we got there. And a lot of people from Marshall Talk came over because, you know, Marshall Talk was a, a nice cross section of all martial arts. And uh, FMA Talk was specifically for Philippine martial arts. Yeah. And FMA Talk, that was uh, at the time, that was like the primary way that I, you know, found out about what was going on within my own system, within Pekiti Tertia. And also it was a good introduction to, uh, to other FMAs, you know, as well. That I probably never ever would have heard of without FMA talk. So it was a big deal at the time. But also with FMA talk, uh, one of the things, one of my guilty pleasures was logging in to see the drama. <laughs> so <laughs> there were there were a lot of dumpster fires. And, and for those of you guys that don't know, uh, obviously, this was prior to social media. So, you know, you could imagine somebody that would take like a an hour to sit there and type out like this, this response to some BS, but what was it like dealing with the idiots on FMA talk? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's start off with, it was a new era in society. And, uh, the internet was not open to the masses, uh, the IT, uh, techie, uh, uh, sometimes as we were, con uh, not that I was techie, but my, me and my geek friends, we had access to it. Um, and, uh, cause I was a big dweeb when I was younger and, uh, um, uh, we, uh, we had access to the net, but the population didn't. So now all of a sudden we get this new technology out there and discussion groups was a new thing for the masses where if you came from the IT world, you understood netiquette. Net, internet etiquette. And um, you have a lot of people that were passionate and were very visceral with their responses and they didn't understand uh, uh, people started trolling. And, you know, that's the beginning of the keyboard warriors. Now, yeah. Marshall, Marshall Talk wasn't the first. FMA Talk definitely wasn't the first. So we had other discussion groups out there. Um, uh, and some of them were list service things. Oh, I, I just came across one of my old bookmarks the other day and uh, rec.martialarts, rec which is a posting group, something similar. It's a, the precursor to discussion groups. 
Um, there's a lot of BS out there because a lot of people were trolling using fake accounts and stuff like that. And um, the nice thing with, say, Facebook is there is an option to report somebody and they will and Instagram and they will do their due diligence and uh, get rid of people who are using fake accounts. Because I've, I've had several people try to Im imitate or impersonate me and other people that I know. But um, it was... Uh, it was a learning curve. Um, I was part of the food fight. <laughs> I was very passionate. So here's the thing. And we go back and forth, and we talk about the wars, and uh, the Marshall Talk Wars and the FMA Talk Wars, and this is what I'm going to say. When it came to me, you would see that I was reactive, not proactive. I never went out after everybody. What happened is something happened, and I responded to it. What I needed to do, and this is, the, this is what I tell everybody, and you can see the difference how I post on uh, say Facebook is that if I, there's something controversial, I'll sleep on it. And if I had slept on it back then, uh, my life would have been so much less controversial, but you know, all a mistake is, is a learning opportunity. So I learned a lot of lessons. Yeah. And that's kind of the reactive nature of social media anyways. It's like, yeah. you see something, you know, instead of taking the a couple of seconds just to kind of read through and, and think about mm -hmm. what you're saying. You know, we have the tendency to start thumbing things out right away and, and be reactive, and, like you're saying. So is, is that what you were saying? You'd see some bullshit and then you just hop on there and be like, wait a second. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I would. I would just like right away, blah, blah, blah. And and there was nothing wrong with what I said. Everything, you know, I mean, I feel very comfortable with everything. Let me think. Yeah, most I'd say ninety five percent of what I said out there, I I feel comfortable with it. I just think sometimes I could have been more articulate, and unfortunately, I'm also dyslexic, so um, a lot of times my responses weren't as verbose as they could have or should have been or descriptive. So sometimes I will cut through the minutia and just say, "Well, this is bullshit." When when I really meant when I could have been more articulate, saying, "You know, I understand where you're coming from, but the way I see this, blah blah blah." And I think you're being misleading, otherwise they're saying you're just a lying piece of shit. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm, you know, we, okay, the, here's the problem. Here's the problem these days. People are too, emo, too sensitive. You know, back in when I, okay, I was born in 65. So it was rub dirt. You hurt yourself, rub dirt on it. Uh, you know. Uh, did I hurt your feelings too bad? You know, it, it was actually kind of fun watching Cobra Kai. I love Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-hero. You know, there is no asthma here. Bam. You know, um, that being said, it also gives us a perfect example of how we need to grow. Because looking at Johnny, uh, so inappropriate, but his character does grow throughout the seasons. And I think as what we need to do is understand that, you know, the the truth okay i'm not going to sacrifice the truth for somebody's feelings that being said i don't have to be mean to talk about the truth and that's where people get twisted you say something you do something and all of a sudden you know, like you know uh, they take it personal it's like no we're just talking about x y and z why are you getting us so jacked up i mean it's there's nothing to you know no one said anything bad you're just um you know it's like the things where you make a comment and someone go like uh, I was talking to another school owner and we're talking about different specials. I go, you know what I do is I do a uh, six weeks for $69.99 or six weeks for 69, you know, six week trial with the uniform, $69. Oh, 69. And he thinks about the sexual overtones of that. I'm like, 
you went there. No one else went there. You went there. <laughs> no one's even what, thinking what? about that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that, hey, listen, back when I was younger, you know, you know, that was something in the 80s and the 90s. You would make some stupid ass comments about that. that. No one's thinking that shit now. Now they're just thinking, especially when you put a dollar sign in front of it. Oh, my goodness. I can't use that because people will think of the, the position. I'm like, no, you're thinking of the position. Get your mind out of the gutter. You know, um, what I said and where you went are two different things. Absolutely. You know, and that's I think that's that's a problem in society. But obviously, martial artists, let me how do we rephrase them? They are the most insecure egomaniacs you could ever meet. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've met quite a few over the past 20 something years. And uh, just a sidebar with the Cobra Kai. I agree with you. Johnny had a significant amount of uh, development. But the thing that struck mm -hmm. me, the way I interpreted it was that, you know, uh, Daniel was the asshole the whole time. He was oh, the yeah, bully. definitely. He was yeah. the bully. <laughs> I'm waiting for, uh, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but those who listen to this, season three is going to be cool. Oh, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that's when you're going to see a lot of different things. And season two ended exactly, well, it was in the, it all happened out the, not to say the 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 way it got there, but the ending was pretty much what I expected. And I what what happened with the Cobra Kai dojo? I'm like, yep, I knew exactly. And I'm like, this is gonna season three should be awesome. And and the cool part is that it looks like almost all the actors from the original series or original movie might be part of this and the original two. Yeah. So yeah. And folks, if if you haven't watched it, don't get caught up in the fight choreography because I'll tell you right now, the fight choreography it sucks. The karate sucks. And ah, it's cute. Yeah, it's cute. But the story, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the storyline, the storyline is what it's all about. Exactly. <laughs> it's good. But as far as your martial arts training, mm -hmm. you know, when you started in the martial arts, um, what eventually led you to the path of the Filipino martial arts? I actually started in Filipino martial arts. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, so um uh, okay, so real quick, my martial training started at two, sort of, kind of. My dad and I used to watch Kung Fu the series and the mod <laughs> squad right afterwards. So as a two year old watching television, I thought that's how you play with people. So uh, uh two weeks after me kicking everybody in the face in uh in preschool, <laughs> my dad sits me down and gets me on a better path and Fast forward, uh, when I was five, uh, I start my, my father was a state trooper. So, um, at five and, you know, we were out in the country, uh, when I would spend time with him, um, my parents got divorced when I was young, but five, I started shooting, uh, I think seven, I started hitting the target <laughs> and, um, and then I, in high school, when I got to high school in 1980, um, a bunch of my friends did martial arts. I didn't have the means, um, cause I, you know, out here, I lived in Buffalo, New York or the, the metro area. And, um, I didn't have the means to, uh, to do martial arts when I was in school. So a bunch of my friends did martial arts and I had some street experience. So we used to just go in the backyards and beat the snot out of each other. Um, and, uh, and then when I was 19, I had a job and, I knew the school I was, I knew my backup school, but I was trying to find the school that I wanted. And, um, just, I decided, okay, come the new year, I'm signing up at Bill Adams. And this guy actually became, is, was like the guy in Buffalo, the first commercial school, did Ishinu karate and helped me out at a crucial time in my martial art career. Um, 
but the, and my friends were going there. So I'm like, okay, this is my backup plan unless I find something, which most people, when they're doing martial arts, they don't do research. They find whatever's close to them. Mm-hmm. That's true. So I get a phone call from another friend of mine and goes, Tim, you gotta, you gotta come over to this place. It's really cool. Okay, cool. So I go walk in and the guy puts a stick in my hand and says, all right, let's go. And I'm like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> and it was modern Ernest. It was the Filipino karate Academy. Uh, run by John, the late John Bryan. He passed away a few years back with liver cancer. Um, so he was a direct student at that time. He didn't start, he wasn't a first generation student initially. He was a second gen who ended up going right with her. So first gen would be the student, the grandmaster. So Adan Zangi was the guy who brought modernities to Buffalo and John was one of his students. There was a split there. And then Remy eventually brought him in underneath him directly. And, um, so when I got there, Remy was a silent partner in the business, which I would find out later. Um, so I started right in modern earnings. And um, and my my favorite Black Belt magazine was the yearbook that Professor Prasis was uh, inducted as Instructor of the Year. Yeah, I remember that when, cover. When, I, when I'm walking in there, I'm like, what? man, this place looks real familiar, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, I, I pulled out the magazine and dude, that's you. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm a teenager, you know, so I met Professor Prices as a teenager. So I met him three months after my initial training, I guess. And uh, we were teaching at the police academy. He got a teaching spot and I, I got brought in to be one of the assistants. And uh, then I tested for, well, they use a belting system. So I tested for my yellow belt, which is the first belt. And I did that in front of the Grandmaster and every modern and black belt in Buffalo. Yay. <laughs> So, but um, I actually do FMA first. That's my core. Wow, that's very rare. You know, I, I usually refer to the FMA as like a graduate level. Like for me, I started in Aiki Jitsu. And, oh, cool. And so I went from Aiki Jitsu to, uh, was it, to C-Lot, and then from C-Lot into FMA. You know, and, and what you had said earlier with uh, Professor Presses saying that it's about making the art your own or something similar to that, something to that mm-hmm. effect about it enhancing your art. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. I mean, all FMA did for for my jujitsu was just make it like super, super aggressive. You know, it just kind of cut the lines, you know, in terms of uh, footwork and aggressiveness and things mm-hmm. like that. It just brought it all together. Um, but I wanted to backtrack for a second back sure. to the to the FMA talk stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a significant network. I mean, like you had everybody on there. How'd you end mm-hmm. up building that? Um, I talked to people. <laughs> obviously I, yeah no i uh so uh, modern arnis is my core modern arnis i was able to take my passion and turn it into my profession but a lot of people then will ask me now like well, well you know what your profession is what's your hobby i go martial arts <laughs> no 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 it's not i mean no it is i i will do seminars in everything I've done seminars in ninjutsu, capoeira, aikido, and and it goes on from there. And when I, there's somebody in the area that I can get access to that I haven't seen something, I'm there. Um, I initially planned on like doing all these different martial arts, and I I've done a bunch of different Filipino martial arts, but I wanted to do Jeet Kune Do, I wanted to do Kung Fu, I wanted to do Taekwondo, I wanted to do Karate, I wanted to do all these things, and then you know that was my mindset getting into the martial arts, and then. I found out that my first martial art was the best one for me. So um, 
but I'd still go and support other people in the community because, you know, the martial as dysfunctional as the martial art world is, we are a community that needs to work together. So karate and taekwondo and jujitsu and, and Krav and all these other systems, they're not our enemies, they're our allies. Our alama, our ally or enemies are the bowling and volleyball and soccer. The more people doing martial arts, the more students we will all get. Less than 1% of the population does martial arts. Uh, but I'll say 1% just to, just to round up to a whole number. That means there's 99 people. If you're one in 100, you're the one who does martial arts. So if we could double that, all the schools would get bigger and better. If we could triple that, all the schools would get bigger and better. And it's good for the entire community. So I'm always supporting other tournaments, seminars, camps, whenever possible, and providing they interest me. Some things don't. And I've never been afraid to cross lines. Uh, I've got friends in uh, Bill McGrath's group. Um, I know the Lodge. I mean, and, and just traveling with Remy, it opened a lot. A lot of people came by to, to pay respect to Remy. And I was part of the entourage. So um, I he opened up so many doors for me. And I have no problem walking across the room to someone and say, hey, my name's Tim Hartman, sir. Pleased to meet you. And um, it, it's funny because, you know, you talked about the drama. Some people don't understand netiquette. Unfortunately, Leo Gahe was one of those, and I had to remove him from FMA talk. I saw him a month later at the FMA Expo in uh, in Maryland that the Lodger brothers ran, and it was Remy Jr., Bobby Tabuada, and Leo Gahe. And every time I've met Grand Tuhan, we've gotten along great. Mm -hmm. I introduce him who I am. He knows exactly who I am, and he's got no problem with me. Uh, we're always doing pictures and talking and joking together. He doesn't give a shit about all that stuff, you know. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, he doesn't, he, he's not very good at the internet etiquette and it has gotten him in trouble sometimes. A lot of times. I, Cause I, I know, I know on FMA talk that it, it got, it got crazy in the Pikiti, uh page. Like, well, well that's no, why I split him because we had the, <laughs> we had the, the Leo lineage. And then we had the McGrath lineage, and I was open to putting some more up there. I mean, listen, even the people that from other Pikiti groups that don't like Leo said that Pikiti Tertia wouldn't be what it is today if it wasn't for Leo Guy. Yeah, I Whether agree. you liked him or not, he was the driving force for Pikiti Tertia. If it hadn't been for oh, – think about this. If it hadn't been for him hooking up with Guru Dan, <laughs> uh, uh that connection gave Pikiti Tertia so much greater exposure, you know, and then, and that was before the internet. Yeah. So before I, we, yeah, I agree. So, yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, cause there was that, that time, I believe it was like in the early eighties uh, to where Pikiti just exploded, like on the scene, it was always mm -hmm. on, it was always in the magazines and, yep. you know, uh, surviving edge weapons came out and, and all of yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, during that era, I mean, you know, getting back to the main question is I would travel and visit and see people. And at the time, I didn't really have a bunch of people that had the means or interest to travel with me. So I was going places alone. And um, 
you know, I would meet people, say, hi, you know, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I am a fairly decent martial artist, so I could stick out in a crowd. And then I'd start talking to people. And then, you know, first thing would be like, you're, you're modern Arnis. Yeah. But you look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Once again, now I, I've done, a, I've been a big ambassador for our system and people don't understand. So I've had a lot of people saying, you know, like from the Filipino martial art industry, I had a lot of, I had a lot of explaining to do because they say, well, you don't move like the modern these people. It's like, well, because I'm really more, and I, I coined the phrase praises are these now. And basically, I did modern Anise as a standalone program. That's how Professor taught me, where everyone else was taught as a, as a add-on program. So, you know, when, when, when you see some of these people, and I go, now listen, you take a martial artist like yourself, and your, your path has made you a better martial artist, but maybe your path isn't the best example of Silat or Pikiti or Aiki Jiu-Jitsu depending on what your path took. Like with all the styles I do, I'm very, I've gone up the ranks fairly quickly because of the effort I do. But I tell people, if you want to see someone like with my Kun Tao or my Sikaran, I go, yeah, I can do it, but I'm not the best example. These people are. And I go, and some of these people actually outrank, but they specialize in it where, you know, I came up the same way, but I also put my Arnis twist on it or my Balintawak twist on it or fill in the blank twist on it. So, um, you know, yeah. So and it, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. You yeah, can go, no. go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was saying, so like a lot of times like when you see modern Arnie's people, you don't understand that they're blending it with karate or Taekwondo or whatever. So their physical representation may, may not be Filipino. It could be Filipino flavored or should, most likely it's Filipino flavored, not Filipino by itself. There's only a couple of us that do a good job. Like Kelly Warden does a really good job. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'd say most of the other people in our industry are very good at these hybrid programs. And if you don't know what you're looking at, you're like, well, well the moves are all right, but the, the the body accent is wrong. It's like, yeah, because he's blending with karate. And that's what Professor encouraged. And this guy's blending it with jiu-jitsu, which Professor encouraged and so on and so forth. So, you know. Yeah, someone that I had on the show recently was uh was Guru Tom Bolden, and he he talked a lot about the early days with him and and Remy, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what was your experience with uh Remy as far as like traveling with him and and becoming a a private student of his? So um, I was with John Bryant, and um, he was kind of getting ready to leave the town, the city, and. Uh, John and I had a couple difference of opinions on things, and I decided I was going to leave. And Remy heard that I left, and I had no clue what I was going to do. And I get a phone call from Remy saying, if you want to continue training, I will be your teacher. So I'm like, well, I can't pass that up when the Grandmaster calls me up, and I'm just a brown belt at the time. So then uh, Bill Adams, that local guy I told you about, he actually gave me the keys of the dojo because I used to do a lot of videoing for him for seminars. And like, get your damn black belt. And then you can do all this other stuff you want to talk about. I'm like, oh, okay, sir. <laughs> so every weekend I had a fistful of cash and wasn't working. I was going to find Remy. So, um, and, uh, you know, uh, at first, you know, it wasn't close. I mean, he took me under his wing, you know, obviously. Uh, Remy loves all of his students, you know. And, um, but then... 
I started becoming more of his go-to demonstration partner. Um, I was young. uh, I was fit. And I could take a beating. And I would I would make noises when he wanted me to. <laughs> Perfect. Well, well, initially I was like, "All right, I'm going to show how tough I am," you know, because I'm Remy's student, so I should, you know, I mean, I'm 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 a baby. I mean, I knew I started in my teens, you know. Um, I was 19 when I started the art, and then at 2021, 20, I was on my own, and I hadn't even come up to be a black belt, and I'm running my own club, and it's literally club, you know in my church and a bunch of us getting together, you know, as I'm working on getting my black belt. So I didn't have that tutelage of what I'm supposed to be doing. And so then I'm trying to figure stuff out and I made a lot of mistakes. And then one day, you know, he smacked me and I made a sound and he brought me up again and he brought me up again and brought me up again. I'm like, Oh, I get it. I don't need to. So then sometimes I would just put a little extra effort into it just so, because the seminars were long and he was pretty intense. Right. <laughs> and uh, I don't mind me, you know, uh, I, I don't mind taking one from the team, but <laughs> I always want to, you know, taper that with a little just just, you know, he doesn't need to give me the extra oomph to get the effect that he wants. Uh, he I never gave him anything. He he did the techniques on me the way he wanted to do. So I wouldn't drop my stick. He, he had to disarm me because that's what he wanted. Um, but I wasn't fighting him on it. I was just giving, you know, all the right energy levels. and. um you know, then I started becoming an inner circle guy and I was part of his entourage and it gave me access to people um, like there was no tomorrow. So there'd be like after event gatherings that I was being invited to and stuff like that. And, you know, after parties, for lack of a better term. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I mean, I, you know, I, it was like being on the TV show Entourage, but without all the money. <laughs> well, and the behind the scenes stuff is always the best, right? Because it. You know, oh, always yeah. always say that these grandmasters, they don't like being grandmaster 24-7. They, they like a place to where they can kind of let their hair down and say what yep. they really think. And uh, and that's where you learn a whole lot more about the art, uh, in my oh, yeah. opinion. Well, he, he didn't like being called grandmaster. He went with professor for, um, for multiple reasons, and one of which is so he was more approachable. So it was Professor Prices, Professor Wally J. Um, those were the primaries. Um, he used to do a lot of stuff with – there was the big three, so George Dimmel was part of that. That was before he did the no touch stuff. Um, and then uh, there was Ron Browning. He started doing stuff. Ron Browning fought for Don King and was Guy Metzger, which was the UFC champion, his his coach. Um, you know, I've done a bunch of stuff with these guys. And I, you know, the it's just amazing what I had access to. And the doors that were left open for me after he, he was gone. And, um, you know, I really, I, you know, professor and I, we used to, uh, uh, we call each other Anuk and Tatai. So Tatai is, is father, Anuk is uh, son or sibling. So, and the Phil, he'd introduced me as his Anuk to the Filipinos in Tagalog or Visayan or Cebuano because he spoke so many different languages and they're all looking at me and they're looking at me and they're like, oh yeah, I see it in the eyes. Oh, listen, you moron. Well, I wouldn't say moron because, you know, I was like, listen, Pope. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. You know, like all Filipinos are cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, oh, he adopted. Yes, we adopted each other. <laughs> so, so, um, so I would, I would, you know, that was, uh, Remy and I used to joke a lot and like, you know, he's, um, cranking me, got this, me down on this lock and he's, 
he's kind of doing a triangle choke ish type thing. Not really. And my face is right by his sneaker lace and he grabs his sneaker lace and starts brushing my nose with it. And I'm thanking him for washing his feet that day. And everyone's joke and laughing and stuff. Cause he was the consummate entertainer. And for those who are listening in that have never seen professor Prasis live videos, do not do him justice. He is a guy that you need to feel. Sort of like when you see a concert on television, it's different than being there. And this is a guy who lived it and did it. He he uh, he fought. I mean, the last art he did before forming Modern East was Balintawak Eskrima and used to fight matches for Anshan Bacon. And uh, he he's done real stick fights. He's got shot in the arm with in it with an arrow after a fighting match. Um, uh, he fled. He fled the Philippines because uh, hit was being put out on him. Um, it was serious times back then there, and he lived it. And I'm not going to take away from anyone who didn't do those things that he did because we're all walk our own path. But some things just don't translate to video footage well, and I have never felt what I felt from him from anyone else. It's just a whole different thing. And I, I like I've got a lot of people that have in that same caliber and they all got their own vibe, their own feeling. You know, mm-hmm. Wally J is throwing me around like there was no tomorrow. And I mean, I wanted that because I wanted to feel I was like, come on, show me. Don't tell me. Uh, Ron Browning, another good guy, you know, and they all had a different feel and they they all have this elite level stuff. But ultimately. No one had that feeling of power and control. Uh, that I felt from Remy than, and then anyone else out there. And that doesn't take away anyone else. I just, if you never met him, you, I, there's no way we can communicate that vibe. Yeah, and I, I, I agree, man. There, there's just certain things that you absolutely do have to experience that yeah. uh, that film, it just doesn't do any justice oh, to. Yeah. Now, Modern well, Arnis, it, it doesn't get the respect that, that it deserves, in, in my opinion. You know, one of the one of the first things I learned in the FMA uh, while I was doing jujitsu was the, they, my teacher, he called it the presses 12 because he, he learned it from Ernesto. And so okay. it was like the 12 basic strikes and there mm-hmm. were blocks and there were disarms and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but my point is there had to have been some experiences that built modern Arnis. Do you know how, mm-hmm. how modern Arnis, how it was built? You know, how he came up with the concept for the art? So, um, Remy's father taught the gorillas during World War II. So he watched them training one day and he would he would train on the side. And as and, and this is as he told me. So the story uh is wasn't as detailed because I never interviewed him. It was more passing stories types things. You know, we were talking about a few different things. So he was watching his father teach uh the gorillas, which is cool to know that the family system was used during World War II to protect the country against enemies. Um, but Remy saw this, he practiced on his own. He showed up for graduation and his father was looking at him like, what, what are you doing? Like, I'm here to practice. I'm here to graduate. And he does the moves with the guys and <laughs> evidently Remy's grandfather watched and was so impressed. He took him under and started teaching him. So, um, so obviously that's the start of the family system. Well, I guess when Remy was like 14, he went out and started traveling the area the Philippines and working with different masters and grandmasters. And there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different stories, but you got to remember when it comes, because I've been there a bunch of times now and Filipino systems are not as big as people think they are. Uh, Think more like Eido 
where it may be just a handful of moves like Balintwok, which I love my Balintwok. There's only about 40 moves in it, you know. Like, if you look at fencing, fencing's not a lot, but there's a lot. It's about perfecting what you know. And some systems are more, here's our basic 12 or whatever. Now just keep doing it. So professor would train with this person and, and get, you know, one aspect of that and train with another person and work and get another piece from here. So he, he built this on top of what he was doing. And then the last art he trained was, was Balintawaka Screamer through Ranch on Bacon. Now, this was probably the most important one um, because, and I eventually get into Balintawak because Remy opened the door for me to work with the guy who taught for Anchon, which was the late Grandmaster Ted Buat. So because of the short range of Balintawak, it forces a lot of stick-on-stick contact in the training. It's not exclusive, but a lot of it happens because of you know, there's a lot of force there. So there's still is hitting the arms, hitting the legs and stuff like that. But when you look at the Abicidario and the Caratus, or if you do the grouping systems, you look at your, um, you look at your groupings, it's all stick on stick contact, um, but could easily be shifted to other things. So Remy looked at and goes, you know what, this is a good idea because karate was more popular and still is as a whole, as a martial system, not as a sport then Filipino martial arts in the Philippines. Um, and he said, well, you know, and which is kind of, I, I don't get that. I mean, we're talking the Philippines, which fought the Japanese in World War II, and the biggest system there becomes a Japanese martial system. But one of the reasons is that it was all stick on body contact and forced people to, uh, well, they'd have to take time off from work from getting injured and because of, the economy over there, people couldn't do it, but they saw karate and they say, well, we could practice that and not get hurt. You know, you don't have to spar. You could just do kata all day long. So, um, you know, so Remy looked at a bunch of things and he goes, well, from an organizational point of view, karate, they do belts, uniforms. Um, yeah, we can do all that and a ranking system. Yeah, we got all that. So that helped it. But then he took the idea of, the stick on stick concept and applied it to all of his maneuvers and made it safe. And then he built this as Filipino karate, which is a good marketing thing. So, um, so, but the blunt walk also was the origins of the 12 angles of attack. Now they're taught in a different sequence. If you look at the 12 angles of blunt walk, one and two are the same five and 12. Are the, so one and two is the forward, the, the forehand and backhand to the head or the forward X five is the thrust and 12 is the overhead. Mm -hmm. All the rest of the angles are taught in pairs, forehand, then backhand. Remy just flipped the rest over. They're the exact same angles. They just do it in a different order. So, um, and I've I've got charts I've, I've written down to, to do the comparison because as I started my blint walk, I wanted a, a guide from, I'm like, looking at this, I'm like, man, this is the exact same thing. This is where, this must be where Remy got it from. And later in Remy's career, more and more of the blint walk was coming out. So he did this synthesis to put this all together. And then he was, he, in 1957, he created Modernese. Now it was Remy. It wasn't Ernesto because people try to say the Praces brothers. Ernesto would have been um, 12 years old. So I doubt that his big brother would have listened to anything like that. Now, the further development, because the art continued, Remy didn't move to the States until 1974. The family definitely contributed on the development of the art. 
But eventually, the two younger brothers, Ernesto and Roberto, expressed themselves differently, Roberto being the stick and dagger, uh, the youngest of the brothers, and then uh, and then Ernesto was more the double stick person. So their systems then shot off and became Combaton, which is Grandmaster Ernesto's program. And then uh, Roberto Preces, his was named after the town, Henegaran, Arnistamano. So, uh, but they're all, they're derivatives of modern Arnis. But you can't, by doing modern, even though you have a lot of the building blocks in there, you don't do the, if you're a modern guy, that doesn't mean you know the Combaton. You know elements of the Combaton. Just like if you know the Combaton, you know elements of the modern. So each brother was a world-class martial artist that developed their own unique system based off the family program that Remy taught the younger brothers. So with, uh, with Ernesto and Remy, what were their teaching styles like? What, what made them different? Remy had a, Remy did more. He was a single stick specialist. I think a lot of that has to do coming from Anchon Bacon's club. Ernesto did double stick. But the other thing too is Ernesto didn't have the depth of, once again, they're all three are world-class martial artists, but Remy was, he was much, he was ahead of the game. You know, he was big brother. He was cool. He taught his younger brothers and he had a lot more depth of knowledge because he continued to learn when he came over here. So Ernesto did a lot of, you know, like we say, it's all the same. Remy would always constantly say, it's all the same. <laughs> and, oh, you, you do very good, but it's just all the same. Do not worry. I'm like, and we didn't have those physical explanations of what that meant. Um, Ernesto would do the same technique with all different weapon sets. So he would do the technique stick and dagger. He would do the technique double stick. He would do the technique open hand. And he showed all the different things. So he was, he, it was very good. And it showed how it was all the same, but different. Or Remy actually went a lot more in depth with all the material, but specialized in that single stick. You know, if you would ask Professor, how would you do this double stick? He, oh, well, this is how we would do it. He didn't teach double stick fighting. Uh, matter of fact, the modern Arnie's, um, modern Arnie's by Remy Prices, double stick was um, a couple Sinwalis and Redundo, which is a double stick twirling drill that we would hit sticks with, and that was it. Um, you know, he did blade. Um, but he didn't like teaching blade the professor went more of this impact tool because he didn't want to go lethal. Like obviously during world war two, a lot of systems in the Philippines were, were blade because you needed, you wouldn't fight, uh, you wouldn't fight a, a, a Japanese soldier with a katana or a wakazashi with a hunk of rattan. If you had a, a machete available. True. So, um, so some systems changed during world war two, uh, some added system things there and others, uh, went back to their primary thing. You know, like they were stick before, went blade during World War II and went back to stick. And Remy, after World War II, no matter what it was, what his father taught him, and you know, he decided he wanted to go non-lethal and stick with the stick. And personally, I think the stick is the best weapon because it's more, so versatile in its use. Um, I can I could use a blade, but I do have to train it differently. But it doesn't have to be lethal, and that's the big thing. You know. Um, I love my blade work when I do that. Don't get me wrong. But if I draw a blade, I've, you know, like I said, my father was a trooper. So when he started teaching me the firearm tactics, he said, if you pull a gun, be prepared to use it. And if you shoot, you shoot to kill. 
And that's the way I look at a knife because you don't you don't subdue someone with a blade. Well, you don't do subdue someone by using a blade. You you know it stabs it it draws blood and you know we're not that exact. You know, um, so I like the non lethalness that Professor went, and also at the lower levels it was more. Uh, it was more of a self defense program how to apply Filipino concepts to open hand tactics against armed and unarmed assailants. Ernesto kept it more Filipino fighting. Uh, not that he didn't have the self defense elements of it, but his was more a little more combative when so, it came to the art. So with Combaton, was there a lot of long blade work in it or or was it just primarily stick like you're talking about? Stick, uh, you know, stick, staff, uh GM Ernesto. Well, I know, and I think you know, here's the thing. I would love to see the develop what the arts would have done if we had today's technology. I mean, you know, a lot of arts, I mean, look at Bikini Tertia. Uh, these days, a lot of P PTK people are using training blades. We didn't have them back then. Back back in the day, everyone had rattan. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many good how many good FMA wooden trainers were there out there? I mean, my first training knife was a wooden, and I still have it, is a Japanese tanto because that's all that was available. You know, they didn't make stuff for us, so I started. You know, I mean, I, we had sticks, and that was everything. Our stick was our blade. Our stick was our uh, our sword. You know, um, and it's it's. It's tough because it's like, let's say, well, if my stick breaks, I'll cut it and I'll make it a staff. No, that's an ice pick. No, that's a <laughs> screwdriver. It is not a knife. And that's why, you know, it's like, well, why do you use a Japanese blade? Because I have an edge. You don't. You just got a wooden doll. You know, you suck, Hartman. I know I do, but that's besides the point, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, we got to, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to, when it comes to our training tools, there's someone busted my chops recently. I, I did one of our stick forms with a katana. And they're like, what do you think the Filipino masters would be like saying with you using Filipino kata with a Japanese weapon? Um, did you win? Yes. Good job. <laughs> that's a, that's a, I mean, who cares the tool? I mean, I don't give a damn what the tool is. I'm just going to use whatever. I'm, I'm training the technique. And some people get all twisted. I'm like, this is what I have. I mean, Filipinos didn't use uniforms. That That's garbage. That was That was Remy seeing what karate had. And why was karate popular? Because they had uniforms. And then he decided to do uniforms and everyone copied them, you know. Um, and today, you know, I've got all these. I was talking to some Europeans because I did the Modern Ernest. Um, I do Datu's Corner on my YouTube channel. And we talked about the development of the Modern Ernest uniforms. And someone sat there and go, well, we should have something more Filipino. You're probably right. You know who you should talk about that? Who? The Filipinos because they're wearing karate uniforms. So, <laughs> it's like it's like it's like don't don't talk to me. I don't care what my uniform is. I I just want it. It needs to be uniformed. It needs to be durable. It needs easy access. You know when they when Century stopped making the uniform that we were wearing, which is those little uh, bolo tops, those you know velcros, you know the the short sleeve velcro front that everyone's wearing these days in the in all the pictures in the, uh, in, the in the Philippines. I go, Remy, what are we going to do? And he's like, I do not know. So I, I bought black <laughs> karate uniforms. They're cheap. They're cheap and they're durable and they're easy access. Okay, there you go. Done. You know, and I'm, you know. Well, it's funny. You, you brought up the technology with the blades. And, you know, even though the technology is present, I mean, I can tell you from my, my experience within the, the circles of Pekiti Tertia that I train with, 
you know, it's very rare that you even use those things for, for drills, you mm-hmm. know? So, you know, in my opinion here in, here in the United States, it's very rare that you, you see somebody even use the training blades, you know, the long blades, not the short mm-hmm. ones, but the, but right. the long ones, you know, it's very rare. You see them use them uh, within a, a, a class or, you know, to teach or whatever. And if they do, it's just for a point of reference, you know, for yeah. edge awareness or whatever. But I haven't seen too many people that actually have a, a blade curriculum, so to speak. They always yeah. they always point to the stick. They say, well, the stick is the training aid to the blade. Well, and this is what I'm going to say. And I've, I've said it before. There's actually one of my monitors minutes um, I put out there. And I'll say this again. If you are teaching a system, whatever the tools are that you're using on a day-to-day basis is what that system is. So if you're claiming to do a bladed system and you're not using a tool that represents blade, then you're really doing stick fighting. If you're, if you're doing a blade, uh, a stick system and you're using blades, well, then you're doing a bladed system because there's, there's difference on how it, it's different how it, it, it works. I mean, you know, if you use a stick as a blade and you hit a target, it's going to chop. It becomes a chopper. A blade is a saw. A stick is a hammer. And if I use a hammering tool, like a stick, everything looks like a nail, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? So, um, so my, my thing is, unless you're using the tools, now I can go back and forth because I have my trainers and I make sure I pull reps to do cutting mo- motions as well as doing reps to do hammering motions. Um, but I tell people like when they say, well, what, what weapons do you do? My answer is yes, we do weapons. And they, what? I go, because I don't look at us doing all these weapons. I'm looking at how do I take these tools in my hand and adapt it to the technique I'm going to do. So I have a, a cane program hooked and walking. I have a tomahawk program. I have this, that, and the other program. And it's about to adapt to the tool that's in my hand. Like my tomahawk, it's not about fighting Tom. There are no tomahawk programs. There's bullshit out there. But <laughs> to me, a tomahawk really represents a claw hammer very well. And actually in my seminars, I pull out a claw hammer. I pull out the tomahawk I use and go, wow, that looks very similar. Yes. And if I do this technique and do it, and let's say I, uh, depending on which angle I do it, I could actually take the claw of the hammer and open my belly up if I'm not careful. This is why I train all these different sys these programs, because I want to know the safety factors of the tool that I'm using to make it safe for me. So um, if I'm not using a blade, I can't tell people I'm doing bladed systems. If I'm always using a stick, then I'm a stick fighter no matter what. And I, uh, oh, edge specialist, edge weapon specialist. No, no. Weapon specialist. Yes. Edge weapon, um, may you might some people may be more knowledgeable, but I really wonder if they're as good as they claim to be. Because if I don't see them using something that resembles a training blade, how they they're gonna you know like I said, use a stick, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> That's your hammer. Well, one of the systems that you had an opportunity to train with uh, or train in, I should say, is Dakiti Tertia. Now, as a Dakiti Tertia person, I've heard little to nothing about Dakiti. Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about what Takiti Tertia is and, and how you got started <laughs> in that? Uh, oof. You ask the good questions, don't you? <laughs> the hard ones. Well, well uh, <laughs> okay. So Dakiti Tertia comes from Nene Tortal. Nene Tortal, Leo Gahe's cousin. 
the two of them used to do Pekita Tertia all the time. And when it came time to hand down the system, it was handed to the nephew, not the son. So I think they just changed the letter. I think it's the same system, just different letters. Pekiti versus Takiti. Okay, well, that's a sim- um, simple explanation. <laughs> simple enough. <laughs> um, I I had a very good opportunity to do some training with uh, um, Nene Tartal. Um, I've I've been very blessed to teach with a lot of different people, and um, I met I met uh, Nene through Marlene Hofano. Marlene Hofano used to do the FMA Expo out in uh, Anaheim, and then in Vegas, it would go back and forth, and. Um, Nene and I taught on the same bill together. And then I got, uh, I started working out with his network in the States. And his last trip to the States that I knew about, he ended up promoting me. And I was doing a bunch of this stuff. I, I look at more of a cross ranking thing than anything else. Um, I mean, I was doing, I was in there doing everything that everyone else was doing. Um, I didn't take a test. I didn't ask for a promotion. It just sort of came about. So um, he acknowledged me in his system. Um, I, I definitely picked up some very interesting things that make me look things differently, but I kind of absorbed the things that he taught me into my overall expression of martial arts. So I don't, I don't do Dikiti separately. It's kind of an amalgamation of my overall expression. Okay. Or so- some of my other systems of training, like my Balintwak, uh, I, I've got separate training methods in just Balintwak. So Dakiti's basically like it's like a sprinkle on top of your ice cream, basically. The way I use it, yes, yes. Okay. Um, but I would say um, Nene has a different delivery system, but it's built off of Pekiti Tertia. If it's not the same, but I uh, Nene never did the uh, Tri V footwork and stuff like that. So I've um, a very good friend of mine is Jack Latour. Jack mm-hmm. is one of the top guys through uh, Tuhan Jack Latour. He's one of the top guys through uh, Bill McGrath. Yeah, I'm and, familiar. And um, Jack's a great guy. Uh, he's one of the best bikini guys through that group I've ever seen. And uh, is a phenomenal martial artist, a uh, good friend of mine. And um, Nene does not move the same way as Jack does. You know, Jack is that guy for when I, when I want to sit there and see the, the Bill McGrath side, the person that I reference because I don't, you know, Bill's out in fish kill. He's, you know, I, I was at his camp last year. I went to, for a day to hang out and, and train. And a few of the guys of our group went up there. And I still like being a student every now and then. And uh, so uh, I went up there, did some stuff. And then I came home for the day. I just need to get out of town. And it was fun. Uh, my guys end up staying for the whole weekend. And uh, but um, since it's so far from here, you know, Jack's only an hour to an hour and a half away from me. So and when I was on the road prior to COVID, uh, a lot of times I was driving by his house, so it's easy access. So you have to stop and train. <laughs> well, you know, I, well, we, I, he and I don't necessarily train there, but I mean, it's it's so much easier for me to get access. Jack, I've had him come and teach at my events uh, a bunch of times, you know, and uh, he's got uh, he's got a challenging lifestyle with work, family, and stuff like that. So a lot of times we just sit there and say, "Well, why don't you come out?" And some of my guys will go visit him. Um, and then we'll say, Hey, can you get out this day? We'll come to the club. Let's, let's, you know, I'm doing a camp. I want the guys to see you, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you know, when I, my camps, 
one of the one of the, another reason why I say, well, how did you know when we built FMA Talk? Big big circle here. <laughs> um, I I like exposing Filipino martial arts to everybody, and it doesn't have to be my art. So, I mean, the list of people that have taught at my camps is huge, and the system's represented. And part of it is for my own development. You know, I want to see what other people do. Um, and I, you know, and Jack has taught out here a bunch of times. You know, Bobby Tabuada has been here a bunch of times. Michael Heron, um, you know, Marlene Hafano, Nene Tartal, uh, Max Palin. Um, and that's just a few off. Dr. G from the Bondo side, because that's another thing I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's people from all different things. I've always brought in a guest instructor to our camps prior to this year because COVID, we couldn't do that. Um, we did a hybrid camp this year where it was physical, small group here, but I had a bunch of virtual students log into that. So that was really cool. But um, so we've always tried to promote Filipino martial arts or martial arts as a whole for that matter. And that that's also how I got the contacts to populate FMA talk and martial talk and stuff like that. Everything's interconnected. There it is. See, we brought it all back to the head. So as as we close this uh, show out, man, I just uh, wanted to bring something up that I saw online as well. Um, It said that you were you were building a a new training facility like uh, that was to specialize like in presses and the presses family art. Can you talk to us about that real quick? Well, it's not uh, what what it is. We have two schools right now that run it. We have a third school that are that are, that's going to be going prices on these. So it's not a facility, although I've been revamping my facility, which I'm actually planning on, uh, during the COVID I, I re- renovated what we're doing my place. Um, well, the, the new school is going to be in Ohio and it was one of our, uh, their focus was our niece is a secondary and now they're shifting as our niece is the primary. So that's the big news that was there. Um, and then I've been revamping my facility, um, to upgrade the technology like right now we have a five five thousand square foot facility dedicated to filipino martial arts wow that's huge um, yeah yeah and and i've got you know we've got a big screen tv uh 65 inch tv on the wall to do our virtual classes and i've got um a couple thousand square foot of uh judo mats uh nice lobby internet video conferencing rooms um you know, and when when I get done with the uh, you know cleaning things up, I'm planning on doing a video tour of the facility. But uh, this is, to my knowledge, the only full time commercial Filipino martial arts school in the country. Yeah, there's there was like one other that I knew of uh, right up the road here in uh, in Austin, Texas. It was with Tuhan Leslie Buck, the Tactical Arts Academy. Okay, but, but uh, that recently. I want to say like last year, uh, he scaled down a bit to where now he's just doing private training, but yeah, okay. you're the only, you're the only one that I know of for sure. Yeah. Now, <laughs> definitely the longest one. Um, I mean like, so, and, and, you know, so, and this is how I define some things too, because some people start are going to get twisted. So, uh, the, the tiers are this, you know, do you have a club? Now I started with a club that was just a bunch of guys in my backyard. Then I moved into my church. Then I taught out of a gym because like a lot of, a lot of people and I'm the minority here being the only Filipino martial artist that's really doing anything here in Buffalo. There were no schools of FMA. There were schools that had some FMA in it. So the first thing I say, well, I got a school. No, you don't. You're in, you're in your church. Well, and then I moved into the gym and I had bigger clientele. I go, look at this. I'm doing full-time hours. Yeah, but you're in a gym. All right. Then I moved into an office space and I got my own place. And then I was like, yeah, but you've got a day job. 
So now I have a, this is what I do for a living. Everything's martial arts. So, I mean, prior to COVID, I was also doing 30 plus seminars a year on the road. Jeez. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Ray Dianaldo does more than I do, but Ray Dianaldo doesn't run a full-time school. Yeah. He um, just, he just travels from what I, yeah. from what I understand. Just does yeah. And that's what Remy did. I mean, Remy was on the road 40 weekends of the year doing two seminars a weekend. He'd come to Buffalo on uh, one day when he first started coming here and being Connecticut the day after. And that was, and, you know, so he was, <laughs> he was doing like 80 seminars a year plus camps. Um, and now, like for as far as someone who runs a full time martial arts school and do seminars, I don't think anyone was doing more than I was. That being said, like I said, Ray Ray was just a full time seminar junkie. Um, so that's a it, we're in two different categories. But you know, now this is it's a full it's five thousand square foot. It pays my it pays my um, my salary. It pays my, uh, which also pays for the loan on my, well, actually my car's paid off now, but it pays all my, my bills here, there and everywhere. Um, and I, it's Filipino first, even my fitness kickboxing, they do Sinwales. Uh, they'll, uh, do some heavy bag work with sticks in their hands and stuff like that. So FMA first and foremost. Awesome. So, so I'm going to do a tour of that in the future to get people in. You know, if you ever find yourself up, I'm in Buffalo, which is very close to Niagara Falls. So if you ever up going to Niagara Falls, we're only about 30 minutes south. Okay. There it is. And go up there uh, in a time other than uh, the winter because I ain't <laughs> trying to freeze to death. <laughs> uh, well, right now, I don't think they're going to let you. Well, actually, they just opened it up now. The restricted list is gone. Now it's you have to test three days. Uh, you know, we're talking the day after the election, uh, uh, November 4th. So as of now, you have to have a test three days prior, test negative three days prior to coming here, then self-isolate for three days once you get here, and then take a test on the fourth day. So I don't see anyone coming to New York for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't see myself doing that. If I have to jump through all those hoops, forget it. <laughs> we can wait. After the New Year, things will be, you know, once the election's over, I mean, we're, we're it's once the ballots are done, the big thing is politicians didn't want to take a chance doing something this close to the election because there's not enough time to recover. Uh, plus, uh, like I'm waiting to see what happens during Thanksgiving. I'm not looking forward to that. I think the state might lock down again. There's rumors right now that all the schools will shut down because of it's Thanksgiving and people getting together. And and I think, I think it might be a good precaution overall. Um, we need to get that vaccine. Like I said, it's, I think there's some exaggeration going on, but at the end of the day, I have, like I said, we, we lost someone in our life, and uh, so it can't be overlooked. If we let our guard down, that's when we get burnt. I agree. And, you know, so, but I, we'll get through this. You know, it just what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And damn, I'm strong. <laughs> <laughs> and folks, if you, I'm not a medical uh, professional, but you know, one thing that people don't talk about a whole lot is you know some of the precautionary stuff that you can do yourself outside of the social distancing and mask. You know, take your vitamins, make sure you're getting enough mm -hmm. vitamin D in your system, vitamin C, zinc. These are different things that could help support your immune system and strengthen it a little bit. And, and of course, you know, get as much rest as possible. Well, I have a, I have an episode where we talk about nothing but that. <laughs> hey, proper hygiene. That's I mean, listen, humans are slobs. Absolutely. You know, and like, I, it shocks me on how many people when I go to the restroom. I cannot, and like I'm, I'm, if I'm at a rest area on the highway, I cannot, wa I cannot not wash my hands because I, I feel guilty if I don't. Now, 
I admittedly there are some there's one there's one rest area in the southern tier here where they say the water's not good to drink. Well, if it's not good enough to drink, it's not good enough to wash my hands. I make sure I have plenty of hand sanitizer <laughs> in my vehicle. But where we were is like a whole family. I'm like, what do you you guys, you just got off the crapper. Wash your damn hands. Yeah, stop being filthy, <laughs> pigs. <laughs> and that would go that goes a long way. And and you know, but you know, we gotta start we gotta think about others instead of ourselves too. I think that's the the big takeaway there, but okay. Well, I'm gonna close. I'm gonna close it out on on two different things. Okay. Uh, one question I always like to ask my guests, or recently started asking my guests, mm-hmm. is, you know, if who would you want to see or hear on this show? But the the one caveat to that is you have to have access to that person in order for me to interview him. Well, well let me ask you: Have you had Bobby Tavada on there? No, I have not. Would you like Bobby Tavada on there? That'd be interesting. That'd be a good conversation. I just talked to him earlier today. He's actually doing a book right now and um gonna be writing something for it. But I will talk to 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 Bobby. He's a good person. Um how about uh Michael Haron? Uh that's another one. That's another top guy. Yeah. Okay. Who would you like to hear from? Let's put it that way. Let me reverse this. <laughs> well, one person that I'd like to talk with just because of uh of his his fame, so to speak, and and what he's done as far as uh, exposure for the FMA recently would be Doug Markaita. That'd be a good person to talk to. Um, I had I used to talk to Doug before before he mm-hmm. got famous. You know, we didn't have mm-hmm. like a, a you know we didn't have right. a great relationship or anything, but we talked periodically. Yeah. And uh, but he, but he's somebody I would like to have on the show. Yeah, I've talked definitely. with Doug a few times, and he's actually in the same town as uh, as Jack Latour. Yeah, he's in Rochester. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're only. Uh, although I don't really, uh, I I only get to Facebook with him every now and then. I saw him at the Blade Show recently. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna close it out on my ten questions, and uh, these are these are rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, a lot of thought doesn't go into them. It's just fun. Okay. I don't think so. That's good. Oh, perfect. <laughs> All right. First question: Your favorite weapons category? Uh, rigid impact. Your least favorite? Flexible. What do you love about the Filipino martial arts? The ability to adapt. What turns you off about the Filipino martial arts? The people doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> what do you love to do besides train? Uh, I'm a gamer every now and then. Oh, nice. Uh, what do you hate? Uh, <laughs> bigotry. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> uh uh which is uh damning the devil in swedish that's different what martial art i can see in front of kids <laughs> <laughs> what martial art besides the filipino martial arts would you like to try mm. well what i'd like to get back into more is Silat uh mall morning is an, a, a friend of mine and uh i'd love to pull more reps with him yeah, I trained with him once, and he has a yeah, he has some nice yeah. stuff. His C lot works for my body type, and that's the other thing too, because some of the C lots are so low, I'm I'm too beat up and big for that. What martial art would you not want to try? I can't think of a style. There might be some people I don't want to work with, which that I don't really want to get into, but I. Something acrobatic as much. I'd love to be able to do it, but my body won't let me do them like capoeira. Okay. And when it's all said and done, what do you want your martial legacy to be? 
I want another generation of people to carry the art forward. And that's something we've been seriously discussing over the last couple months with how many schools are closing down due to COVID and worrying about uh, modern earnings, whether it is going to go on another another generation after us or not. Awesome. Well, Dr. Tim, I appreciate you coming on the show. Stay online for a couple minutes. And I'm going to talk to you about some things. You got it. All right. Take care, y'all. Peace. Dr. Tim, I appreciate you coming on the show. Stay online for a couple minutes. And I'm going to talk. You got it. Thank you for listening to our show. Subscribe, rate, share, leave a review, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at South Texas Kali. Until next time, stay safe and train hard. Peace.